Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Petko Stoyanov and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here with my co-host, Petko Stoyanov. Petko, hey. Hey, Rachel. You know, it's good to be back after the long break and everything. And we're going to talk about, I guess, something that all of us, all the things, cyber and our favorite topic, anything cyber, right? And and we're going to work in a, we're going to work in TikTok too in in an unexpected way, which I'm very excited about, as you know. Well, you know, it's, it's not, (laughs) it's not going to be, it's not, it's not going to be a TikTok. It's not going to be a a podcast (laughs) with you, unless we mentioned TikTok somewhere, right? Exactly. So let's just jump in. Everyone, please welcome to the podcast, Javad Malik. He's a security awareness advocate at Know Before. And I mean, Javad, you're pretty well known as a, as a security commentator. I mean, I was doing the research and you're everywhere. I mean, it's amazing. I love it. Yeah. So thank you for inviting me. And um, yeah, I, I try not to keep track of how many times I'm quoted in, in different places. I may or may not have a spreadsheet that does that, actually. It's called my vanity spreadsheet. Uh, you know, <laughs> just like so, so whenever there's an argument at home, I pull it out and say, see, I am a big deal on the Internet amongst this small group of people. So <laughs> That's fantastic. And and you kind of coined a phrase, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, and I'd love to talk a little bit more about it. Um, protecting the seams. What, what does that mean? How do you even come to that? So protecting the seam, this was something a few years ago, and I was working for a vendor that had a seam product, like a sim. And um, the, the seams <laughs> was something more from a tailoring perspective. It's like you can get different fabric and stitch them together, but the seams are always going to be where the weak point is. They, they, that's where you can tear them from, or that's where like air can get in or water or what, whatever. And I think from a cybersecurity perspective, we we are really good at identifying technologies that we like and we like to bring them into our organization and stack them on top of each other. And we don't sometimes pay enough attention to where the seams lie between those products. Like there's there's there's, there's a natural gap mm-hmm. between where one where so like the network ends and the endpoint begins or or the perimeter is or isn't or or, or what have you. And so there, there's all these dead spaces in between our, our, our entire technology stack and our, and our security infrastructure. And we, we're really good at paying attention to where the noise is. And we're not always as good as paying attention to where the noise isn't. And I think that's that's where we sometimes need to put a bit more focus towards. I, I want to jump into that one. When we say protect the seams, we're talking about protecting the integration points and making sure you have the right coverage. Because, you know, it's not about protecting the SIM. It's about protecting yes, the integration correct, points. Yes. Is that correct? Yeah, it's integration point. Okay, so if I start thinking, I mean, because I can, I can think of like all the scenarios where uh, you have an API because everything's about APIs lately. And if I have an API, at some point I have to change passwords, I have to change tokens, I have to, I have to do rotations around that integration point. And I, and I can imagine a large integration uh, that eventually that thing might go quiet because password expired. And then you, you're like, oh, I get no more data. That's, that could be an area where you have a gap. And it's something as simple as a password expiring. And I think your point is, don't just look at the tool, look at, monitor your integration points, because that's where they're going to attack us. That's yeah, where we're, we're, exactly. And 
I was going to ask you, do all technology have these like sim, sim problems or integration problems? Like I think in legacy tech, does, is, are they more vulnerable or are modern solutions more vulnerable? Mm. I'd love to get your take on that. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think we, we have like these, uh, we, we have two different scenarios here. So we have traditional organizations that were around before the cloud and they migrated slowly into this more digital world and they you know like like a lot of your traditional banks they still have a mainframe core running all their, their their numbers and you have like all these legacy apps which they can't really move away from but what they can do is put on some interface that can kind of like make it more uh, uh digitally accessible in in the in the modern era the the challenge we 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 see with that is that you can't always implement your best controls in that scenario because you're literally just connecting things together the the connecting the pipes together just to get things working and what we also see is that for a lot of these organizations it took them a long time and they still haven't completely updated their risk profile accordingly so you know whereas like you know back in the early 2000s if a system went down for a weekend no one really would bat an eyelid because that wasn't mission critical today that same organization, they probably closed all their physical premises and now they're 100% reliant on, on people transacting online. Now, if that goes down for like 15 minutes, that becomes a, a critical one issue. So, so it's about like shifting your focus to view where your risks have actually moved and then saying, okay, this, you know, bit of like, um, you know, uh, duct tape that was holding things together for the last 10, 15 years was, was okay then, but now we don't have visibility. We don't know, you know, how many transactions we're conducting a minute, you know, where, where, where the peak flows are, who's coming, what are they doing? Do we have any like fraud or behavior analysis on this or, or not? And what have you. And I think those are things that we need to start focusing on. So it's less about going out and buying the next shiny product to bolt on the top end, but it's really looking at okay, this is a gap we have here and how do we bridge that and make it more, um, you know, in line with our risk appetite? So, I mean, just as a non-technical person, I mean, I, I imagine some, you know, organizations and, you know, where do you even start? I mean, and with so many of these things, right, when you're you're getting on like a zero trust journey or a sassy journey or protecting the SEEBS journey, it's always like, what what is a good starting point for folks that are that are looking to kind of start figuring out where these gaps are? So I, I'd say uh, the best place for most organizations is to look at your instant logs and go back a year or two years and see, okay, we've had whatever, 50, 100, 200 incidents in the last two years. Uh, what was the root cause of that? Just really dig into what was the root cause of that. And you're going to find that there's probably like a handful of issues that cause it time and time again. It could be password expiring. It could be the JML process is broken. It could be that, you know, th th there's, there's a bandwidth issue. It could be human error. It could be whatever it could be, but you, for most organizations, you're going to narrow it down to like half a dozen issues. And I think that will provide a really good roadmap for you to like say, okay, these are things we need to focus on. Cause the problem is if you go to a big conference and there's like hundreds of vendors there, everyone's going to say, well, we focus on this and this right. is your biggest problem. 
And, you know, that's okay. You've done a survey and you, you wanted us to believe that that's the biggest problem. Cool. Good for you. But I'd say like, okay, that's just an external perspective. Look at your own internal logs and figure that out. That will be the best choice for you. That will guide you the best way as to how to how to fix your your issues. And, and then from there, I'd say like, just start with, with, uh, with, with small uh, interventions, small improvements. Look for those quick wins. And I think that can help make a, you know, significant impact in, in the long run. Because when you look at it from a big transformation project and you, that's a big sell. You say, okay, we need to spend 18 months, 10 million, another six months in consultancy fees. You know, that scares people. But, you know, just small interventions can can sometimes really help and, and take you along that journey as well. I think I, I've observed something is a lot of cybersecurity professionals get stuck on the shiny object because we always focus on the next thing. Yet, how many of us look at cyber like a balanced diet? Or do we have a little bit of everything that equal the balanced diet? And your, your diet might be a little bit different from mine. You know, or Rachel's. I might be eating too much protein. Rachel might be eating too many carbs. And you're like, hey, we need to balance that out and by other stuff. Like we can't see it as one thing fits, fixes everything. It's, it's really needs to be tailored to the organization like a balanced diet. And I think from the cyber standpoint, we get stuck on the buzzwords and we don't forget, we forget about that balance of cyber and the integration points and how everything works together because we're so busy on, as you pointed out, the 1% problem with, you know, that we sometimes have want to solve. Uh, it, it makes like, do we take this protecting the seams a little bit further? Um, like, is that just technology? Is there other integration points that we should be looking at? So, yeah, no, um, we definitely, it's not just about technology. I think anytime you just focus on technology, you're, you're only focusing on like a third of the problem at, at best. And, you know, we need to look at what, what the processes are that underline everything. And then we, we also can't forget the, the people side of, of the business because, you know, that ultimately it's people that need to use the tools that we're providing them. They're people that need to interact with them, that people that need to make the business go forward. And, you know, not every, we can't make everything, um, you know, a hundred percent technology dependent. Otherwise then, well, what you're basically saying is, well, we don't need people. Uh, and, uh, uh, well, hey, if, if you're a business that can automate everything 100% and not spend money on people and unions and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff, then then that's great. But I think until you get to that stage, you, you need to really focus on on all aspects of this. And and when we look at, like, uh, all of these, like, uh, threat actors out there and uh, you look at any threat intel uh, feed or you look at these reports that are published by any one of the vendors – and you'll see majority of the times, whether they're nation states or whether they're like cyber criminal gangs or, you know, a lot of time it's like, how do they get in? Well, they, they send you a macro laden, you know, word document or a spear phishing email or they'll phone someone else up. And, you know, so, so the human interaction is just such a such a big part. And that's not something we can just automate away with uh, any technology. Technology can sure help us and uh, be you know, we need that in the stack, but we can't only focus on the technology. Yeah, it's... Do, do we... Yeah, I'm just going to make an ahead, observation. Rachel. I mean, it's, it, you know, you, you hear a lot about people, you know, they're they're kind of your first line of defense, um, you know, but I, I think a lot of times the security, right, we're, we're asking a lot of the people to, to uh, you know, it, 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 where's that balance? But I, I will hand that off to you, Petco. <laughs> 
No, I, I think you're right. I mean, we, we do keep, we always lean on technology first and then ultimately like, oh, people's the last line of defense is what we kind of say. And and that we we forget to train them sometimes, I think is the dilemma, right? Like we focus on, hey, we got all this tech, we, we focus on that. And then well, if your last line of defense is the people, we probably need to make sure they're trained to know how to see some of these macros, see some of these Word documents. And, you know, or in the case of like some of the stuff, attacks we've been seeing recently with that are multimodal AI, where it's combining voice with text and you, it becomes harder and harder to tell what's real. You know, it's not, so it's not just a Word document. You'll get a phone call asking, hey, go execute that PO that I emailed you. And you're like, it's from the CEO, really? And you're like, fine, let me search for it. And you forget the fact it's coming from some random Gmail. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but this is the world we're kind of leading, living in. I mean, I've got a certain view. I'd love to get your perspective on, you know, there's a, a focus on let's pause some of the AI development out there in the market. And you've seen that open letter and as a cyber professional, I'd love to get your take on, do we pause, do we continue, or do we say we pause, but do in the back, do continue in the background? I mean, there's different views to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I think the, the, the concerns that are raised by, by those that want to pause it are extremely valid. I think it, we've seen in the past with technology how, um, especially when there's little oversight there's these inherent biases built into these algorithms. And, you know, if, you know, some 20 something year old dudes, uh, white guys in Silicon Valley are coding this thing, then surprise, surprise, the world is going to look like it's through the lens of some 20 something year old guys in Silicon Valley. Um, no offense to 20 something year old white guys in Silicon Valley, but I think that that's just what it is. Uh, we, we've seen this in the past, like with Google Images, like people would do a search of like what's, what's beautiful and there would be a certain view of beauty that right. is represented of a certain subclass of people uh, and not universal. So I think that that is one of the, the big challenges. Like there's, there's a lack of oversight. There's a lack of like understanding and how these these concepts are being presented and, and coming out. And, and one of the beautiful things we have in uh, where, when when humans create anything like bit of writing or poetry or, or, or what have you, is that there is that variety and there's those unique perspectives. And if you rely too much on something like AI, you, you, you end up risking that everything blends into this one single tone. Um, so, so I think from that regard, there is legitimate concerns about pausing it. Um, I think from a realistic point of view, I don't think anyone can pause it. I think the genie is out of the bottle and people are going to be pursuing this. So I think whilst we should carry on continuing asking for more oversight and more transparency into how these things work and operate, uh, we should be prepared that this isn't going to slow down and just take a look at like, okay, how's that going to impact us, our businesses, our security posture, and how that impacts our, our, our colleagues across the, the organization too. Yeah, most definitely. I um, There was an article I read and I the fellow may have been in the UK or, or maybe elsewhere in Europe. Um, but I don't know if you read about this. It was, uh, the, it, it was a chat bot he was talking to and he was very concerned about climate change. Um, you know, and, and his partner asserts that, you know, the, the AI chat bot discussion kind of went down a path where there was a suggestion of, Hey, you know, you could, you know, potentially help your cause more by, you know, giving yourself to the earth or, or, you know, I'm paraphrasing here. Um, and, and I haven't, I don't know the chat body used. I didn't follow that up at all, but I, I just thought that was, 
for the vulnerable out there, right? Um, you know, it, speaking of bias, right, and, 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 you know, likely something where nobody ever thought it would go down that path. But, um, I mean, are those some of the concerns that you share as well as we kind of look at how, how do you rein that in at this point when it's kind of starting to get out there? Yeah, I, I think that that, is, again, is a very scary prospect because you are interacting with this bot and for, for, for a large part, it, it's, it's kind of like that suspension of disbelief that this is just an AI. A lot of people just start conversing with it as if it's a human. Uh, we, we see that when we start watching a, a cartoon or like puppets uh, or animation and like, you know, we know it's that, but then we just allow ourselves to get immersed into it. That's just how we, our brains are wired. We, we just, uh, you know, want to make sense of stuff in an in a easy way that's not scary. And especially for vulnerable people um, or even non-vulnerable people, I think, you know, you see that this, this can have a, a big impact. I mean, we, we've already seen this with things like, like YouTube and where if you leave the autoplay feature on and you play a video about, you know, something that's mildly on a conspiracy side, um, you leave it running. And after about a few hours, you know, you, you come back to it and it's full on like the earth is flat and, you know, there, there's this happening and, you know, there's chemtrails in the sky and, and you know, UFAs are going to come and, and pick us up anytime soon or whatever that might be. So, uh, and that's like completely just, you know, that's not even AI, that's just recommendations right. getting more and more extreme as you let it play. And uh, this is a problem. And we, we've seen this with uh, Microsoft when they released Tay, was it? Their, their AI bot on, and on Twitter. And they thought, well, why don't we let Twitter teach it how to interact? And yes, that's a brilliant idea. Let's let's let the completely non-toxic people of Twitter teach a a baby how to how to interact with the world. And it ended up being an absolute disaster. Uh, And this, again, is like comes down to, I think, the, the lack of transparency with how these AI platforms are being developed and being worked. And people are coming out with all these techniques of like, well, if you put in this prompt, it can bypass some of the the. The, the filters or the or the barriers that are being put up there. Mm. So you can say like, okay, I want you to respond in the manner of Samuel L. Jackson and you can use all of his profanity or what have you. And then it will right. start dropping the profanity filter. It'll stop dropping this and stop dropping that. And, uh, you know, you can easily get it to start behaving, you know, with a few simple uh, suggestions out of character, so to speak. And, and then that can get really, really scary because like, like you said, you, especially if it's like an impressionable person, someone that's vulnerable, a child, you know, someone that's stressed out, you, you just don't know. Um, you know, and, and we have a terrible history of following, like, like how many people have driven into ditches or off the side of cliffs because that's where the GPS said you need to go that way. Yes. Um, I, I fear, uh, I fear that people will, uh, will take everything to heart that chat GPT, surely it cannot lie to me and, uh, <laughs> just do that. Are, are we too dependent on technology? I mean, to your point of driving off into a ditch because G- the GPS or Google maps that go this way, regardless of the data is outdated and there's accuracy issues. Like it, it feels like eventually, even like the YouTube, it becomes like a rabbit hole and you go down this echo chamber and just never ends. And at some point, like at what point do we say, look, it's not a technology problem. It's, it's a human problem. And eventually it's a mental health problem. We have to focus on not just say everything's gotta be technology. Cause to your, your point earlier, you said a third is technology, a third is process and a third is the people. 
And I, I feel like maybe we're focusing mm-hmm. so much on technology, like, hey, let's hold off IA development. And we never say, well, what? how should we mm-hmm. interact with it that's ethically viable and maybe train people, just like we do training for cyber. Um, I'm hoping most organizations are doing some type of training for their employees around cyber instead of just relying on tools. But just just a, a, a thought, you know. Yeah, yeah. That if does, I mean, I guess the question is, What's the like? Why do we focus so much technology and not on the people? Like, what what do we need to be more effective as security culture? So, so this is something I I read in a marketing book. I can't remember which one, and 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 it said like we have a humans have a hyperactive what, but we have a lazy why. So we're very good at pinpointing what we want, but we're very lazy. It's very convenient to arrive at the why. And and the example given was like we're, we're all familiar with the question: Why did the chicken cross the road? And the problem with that is that we, we turn up with the assumption that there's only one chicken and the other assumption is that there's only one reason for it to cross the road. Uh, and, and that's the lazy why, because we want to just get to the answer really quickly. Um, so, you know, if it was a group of 50 chickens and they all started crossing the road, then you can say, oh, OK, maybe it was just following the herd. That makes it a far more plausible reason. And and so when we when we. Um, I think we, this is like one of the challenges in cybersecurity because a lot of the professionals come from a tech background. We deconstruct every problem into a tech problem and try to offer a tech solution. And, and that's why we, it's the lazy why that we fall into. So an email reaches, reaches a user's inbox um, and it's a phishing email. And our first way is like, okay, how can I make better email filters? How can I block it at the gateway? How can I implement DMARC or whatever? And those are great controls. And I'm not saying we should completely dismiss them, but we need to also say, okay, there's going to be a certain percentage that will reach the inbox. And then what do we want the user to do? Okay, then we want them to do something about it. We want them and we want to give them some training, but we don't want to make them all security experts because that is just uh, unreasonable. So what we do, we just want to say, okay, if you think that this is a bit weird, then report it. But then we've got to think, okay, if we say report it in the normal process, that's quite a lot of friction because they normally have to go and raise an IT ticket and it goes up the chain. And what do you do with the email in the meantime? So then it's like, okay, how do we use the processes and technologies there to say, how can we make it a really quick and simple method that they can report it, remove it from the inbox, and then someone gets back to them in that loop to say, okay, thank you so much for reporting that. In this case, it was or it wasn't a phishing email, but what you've done is help make the organization more secure. And, and so you're now you're dealing with people on a more human basis and, and actually you're building good relations with your colleagues as opposed to just like it going into some black hole somewhere and, you know, you feel like you're wasting someone's time. But, you know, I think most organizations don't even bother to have that capability for their employees, like where they say, hey, report this or click button where he says report it. I mean, I've seen so many, having worked in so many different companies, some have a button, some don't. It just amazes me. Like they, they assume that it has to be 99.99 or 100% accuracy in the phishing. And then they complain when there's an email missing. It's, so sh- I, guess, I guess my question is like, what else do we should we be doing to build an effective security culture that ties, ties either the people or the humans? Or you know, what barriers do we need to overcome? What else? So the, the, the first thing I always speak to any, anyone that's trying to embark on this journey is I always say, like, what's your security team's relationship with the rest of the organization like? And that's normally really telling. Um, 
There was a, a international hotel chain and they'd done a survey, a, a customer satisfaction survey. And they were like, okay, how was your room? How was the cleanliness? How was the food? How was the swimming pool? All that sort of things. And scale it on one to five. And they found that people that had a pleasant check-in experience, if they scored that as a high, everything else would score high, regardless of whether it was the exact same hotel that everyone else was staying at. But if you had a poor check-in experience, everything else would be poor. So my, my question often is like, what's the first interaction your colleagues have with the security team? Is it like during induction week, you, you like say, here's the intranet, here's the security policy, 500 pages, read them all. Or is it something where like, you know, we, we wrangle them once a year for two hours into a boardroom and like give them like everything they need to know about cybersecurity? You know, it, it, or is it that when they do something wrong, we're there to, to beat them over the head uh, with, with, with it and say like, you done this wrong, you messed up. So I think like the first thing we need to really focus on is like, what is our relationship like with the, with our colleagues and trying to build good, positive interactions with them regardless. So, so, and, and we don't need an excuse of an incident or something going wrong to interact with them. We can just go up to them and say, Hey, okay, we're putting on lunch today or coffee with security, or here's something useful that you might, might find useful for your home, for your home environment. Mm -hmm. So here's some password manager tips or whatever it might be. And if you build that good relationship, then whatever you do after that, you're, 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 you're starting from a, from a strong position. You can say, okay, now here's a phishing email that we're going to send out to everyone. We're going to start sending out some simulated phishing emails, for example. And this is a real, real, uh, real, uh, you know, sort of like divisive topic as well. Cause some people, they absolutely hate receiving them. They're like, yes. you tricked us. You're wasting my time and what have you. And that I think comes down to not setting the scene appropriately by having a good relationship and explaining to them that, hey, we're doing this and this is going to benefit all of us. And the idea isn't to catch you out, it's to showcase to you, like it's a bit like a dojo, it's just like a bit of friendly sparring to say, okay, this is something you can look out for. And here's the fish button that if you think it's a fish, click it and we will then, you know, let you know either way. And I think those are the things we really need to focus on because it's it's a human uh, it's a human endeavor we're embarking on at this point. It's not really about technology. It's not even about stopping all your attacks. It's about letting people feel comfortable enough to report it to you. And we saw this just uh, recently where Reddit, uh, a user in Reddit got, got fished and uh, they, they were smished. Uh, so SMS fish where someone sent them a text message saying, hey, this is HR, send us the code. And they sent the code to them. But then they thought, you know, this doesn't feel right. So immediately after they let their security team know. And that's great. That's the exact positive outcome we want. You know, people are going to make mistakes. That's not a big issue. But if they can recognize it and report it so we can lock it down quickly, that's the outcome we, we, we should strive for. Yeah, agreed. It, it made me think about having to, you know, when you t tell the security team, hey, I'm going to use phishing against you. You're right. I think most people are like, I don't want to fail this test because then it makes me look, makes our organization look bad. But I, what we used to do in another organization, we, every person that would fail it, we add them to next month's <laughs> testing list every single time. Yeah. So we gave them an opportunity to 
retest, if you will, not that we were targeting them, but rather helped them raise, you know, raise the bar across the board. So if you failed it, you always got put on the next month's list and we made sure that everyone was tested at least quarterly. So that way you kind of had this a third, a third, a third. And if you failed, you got retested every month. And we had some like, I've been doing this every single month for six months. <laughs> Tells you something. <laughs> That's right. Because people want to click Petco, you know, let it, let a clicker click, man. We just, you get so busy and you're just opening stuff and, you know, just trying to keep it moving forward. It's, it's easy, easy mistakes to, to have happen for sure. You know, I think I think our internet's just too fast now. Everything just shows up immediately, and yeah. you know, I want instant gratification on every file. Uh, you know, oh look, there's a TikTok video. Let me click on that. <laughs> Is it really TikTok though? Well, it's Check hard to link. tell now in SMS. I mean, that's that's the one that's getting me. I I got one over the weekend from you know, look like my doctor saying, hey, you know, you you got a balance on your on your bill. And I just paid something like a couple weeks before. So I'm like, I don't think I do. So I just went to the website and then I Google searched the number where the text came from. And they're like, don't, it's shady, shady business. But, you know, what if I hadn't paid that thing a couple weeks ago? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I meant to get back to that. Let me click on this shady link and then who knows what would have happened. But, I mean, that's a lot of brain cells to have to retain all this information. <laughs> You know what? It, I will tell you though, it is harder. Like I get some of those links from certain providers or or companies to deal with, and they use these to make, to get it inside your text message. They start using shorter shorter URLs, so they use like not a Bitly, right. but some other variation <laughs> they've created. And sometimes you can't tell is that the company is that someone else's, and then you get one. Oh, UPS yes. is shipping a package to me. Wait, why does it look like it's coming from Poland? That seems kind of odd. Like the link should not have a dot. You know, RU on it sometimes, or Russia, or something. It just seems odd, but I, I mean, hopefully, we're going to get better at reporting those. The phone is the ones I worry about because I don't think the report, reporting mechanism is mature as the email systems. No, that's right, and and I think that but, there's also a massive uh, sort of like uh, education thing piece that needs to be delivered to marketing departments that send out these things because. Sometimes even when they send out legitimate communication, mm -hmm. it looks just like a phishing email yes. <laughs> or a phishing text. Yes. It does. It's so true. We had a vendor send um, an invoice through um, and there, nowhere in the email did it say their name. Nowhere, you know, you had to open the document, but, you know, like the, the sender, right? Nothing in the body of the email, no PO referenced. Uh, and they're like, why haven't you paid this invoice? And it's like, what? Because <laughs> it looks like a phishing attempt. And they're like, oh, that's really great feedback. Thank you. And it's like, how can <laughs> how can you be in the security world and not not have already figured that out? But um, it's it's hard. It's hard to navigate some sometimes for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes making things harder isn't necessarily a bad thing. Uh, uh, and sure. I think that a lot uh, also comes back to like human human behavior is that we we don't necessarily like things handed on a silver platter. We like to use our brains. Uh, Betty Crocker, they they learned this like uh, when they first came out with their cake mix. It was just um, sorry. I'm going off on a tangent, but I, no, I, I love this. I, I love there's this. There's a point. Betty, Betty Crocker, <laughs> so, I gotta hear this. Yes. Yeah. So when they first came out with their cake mix, it was just like just add water, stick it in the oven, and you've got the perfect cake. And they could not sell that to save their lives. It was just not selling. People would not buy it. 
So they they done a whole bunch of studies and they went to some behavioral psychologists and they said, yeah, the problem is that it feels like cheating. It doesn't feel like they put any effort into it. So they went and they redone the whole recipe and they said, um, and then their slogan was uh, just add an egg. So Mm -hmm. then in addition to the water, you had to crack your own eggs into the cake mix and mix it up and then stick it in the oven. Just that slight <laughs> bit of added complexity, it made someone like me who'd never cooks like feel like Gordon Ramsay, like, oh, look exactly. at me, I'm cracking my own eggs and I'm mixing it all up and I'm sticking <laughs> in there. So there's that sense of accomplishment that, that goes along with it. And then they just, it, it's similar to what Ikea does. They sell you bits and pieces of stuff and say, assemble it yourself. And Oof. it's that act of like assembling it yourself that makes you like, I really like this sofa. Okay, don't sit on the left side because it wobbles a bit. But, you know, just like it's, it's great. And, and sometimes this, this again is like when we give security awareness or training to our colleagues, sometimes it's a bit too easy. It's a bit too basic. And uh, sometimes what we could do is just say, like, here's the problem. Oh, you know, our problem is we've got too many people without badges wandering into the office. What do you think we should do about it? And surprisingly, people often have better ideas than the security team does because they actually work in that office. They know what the dynamics are. They know why these things happen. And they can often come up with better suggestions rather than just us mandating a base level like that would appeal to a three-year-old and say, like, just make sure everyone's wearing a badge and challenge that stranger because clearly no one else would have thought of that, would they? (laughs) That's hilarious. I, I can't imagine a three-year-old challenging a stranger. Who are you? What are you doing here? You know, <laughs> they would probably do a better job. Yes. What's your name? <laughs> yes, they would. That's hilarious. So, but it, I guess coming back to the training thing, because I do love training myself, and and I love kind of being tested. You know, because then you feel like I'm really smart, and I thwarted this thing. And I, do you see us getting to a place like where there's more like? active training. I mean, I, I've heard about these things, um, you know, some programs where you're doing something and it's like, are you sure you want to send that Excel document that's marked private and confidential to an external email? I love stuff like that. It's like active learning. Like, why isn't there more of that coming about? I don't know. And I, I, and I, I would love to see more of that. And I think studies have shown that that kind of stuff is so effective. Um, it's, it's like password meters, They've shown like, you know, you start typing your password out and it goes from a red to a green or a sad to a smiley face. That's shown that it it encourages people to choose a stronger password. Uh, It's just that that nudge theory in in effect. And and that's what we need more of because rather than referring someone to a policy like this is how long and strong your password should be, you're just building it into the... And and again, it's like that timely intervention. So at the time that someone... So I, I've exactly. got like a, 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 I've got children. I'm like my youngest is like six, so he's at the age where he likes to wander off and and explore things. So I try and teach him how to cross a road safely, and the best time to teach him how to cross a road safely is when we're actually crossing the road. Right. There's no point in me waking him up at three a.m. and saying, "Hey, son, <laughs> now's the time. I'm going to teach you about road safety." <laughs> And, and, or, or training when there's enough, right. no other cars on the road. Yeah, right? exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, so I think, you know, these kind of interventions and, and, you know, nudging people to, to sort of like make the right choice. So you don't even have to technically re-architect stuff in the back end to force people. You just like nudge them in that right direction. And people, for the most part, they will 
make the right choice. Um, you know, it's, it's a bit like recycling. I've got like three or four bins outside and I have to separate stuff out into different bins. Yes. Does it really matter that I understand that I'm saving the polar bears or, or stopping the polar caps from melting? Maybe not. Uh, what's important is I'm engaging in the right behavior and they've made it easy for me to engage in the right behavior because all the bins are next to each other. They're clearly labeled and Mm -hmm. it doesn't take a lot of brain cells on my part to just say, Oh, let's split it out and and throw it there. Um, and that's how I think we, we, we really need to, to sort of like invest in a lot of the future of security. You just made me think of a, maybe a, I wish there was a company out there that had like a, a co-pilot that would guide you through these security decisions. Like, Hey, I got this email. And it would almost say is give you a score of what's the probability of it being malicious or not. So it's that like a password meter, but for your email or for anything you have to do in life, you know, maybe it's a maybe, it's a, maybe life is a sim game is what I really want. Yeah, yeah. So so you I, know the, the, I know I know Rachel <laughs> likes her sim games. You know, people have looked at that kind of thing, and like there are some sort of like products out there, like smaller ones that they they'll like flag your email with a confidence rating. The the Problem with that is that people will then put too much faith into that rating system. And so it's like trying to find that right balance between, you know, signaling people. And I think the active thing is, 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 is really good where it's like, you know, even Gmail will tell you like, oh, you've said you've attached a file, but there's no attachment. Where's right. the attachment? You dumbass. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, sorry. And, and you yeah, attach yeah, it. Yeah. But, <laughs> but when it comes to like actual, like you, you must have a spot, you, uh, I'm curious, in the UK, do you have a different version of Gmail that actually has profanity in it? Because mine That's, does not do that. Mine just says, did you forget the attachment? There's no like dumbass at the I end. Think, I mean, I'm, oh no, I, I built my, my own Chrome <laughs> extension that, that changes all of the prompts to like profanities. <laughs> actually, I want, I want to download that one. That'll be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be very entertaining. No, actually, a few years ago, I did write a Google Chrome extension called Uncybered, and this is like really good. so. You can still look for. It. I think it's still on the on the Chrome uh, on the on the extension. And what it does is it just takes the the idea was to take um, the mystery out of like some of these press releases or marketing buzzwords that people often use. So if someone says the word like say like I, I don't know. If, if it's if it talks about machine learning, it just replaces the word machine learning with witchcraft. Uh, and if it says AI, it's it's, it's something. So so it's basically like you know it, it, you just go reading through it. So our product is powered by witchcraft and and uh, and and unicorns and uh, you know some generic analyst firm said this about us. So it, it, I, I found it made the the reading a bit more entertaining. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, that reminds me of so many out there. I, I think I saw stuff that said it's Viking grade and all these other <laughs> <Yeah>. versions. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, we're getting know, off on a tangent, what, definitely. What else is new? So um, I do want to be mindful of time, but I, I'd be curious in your perspective, uh, Javad, because I'm always thinking about um, you know, the next generation coming up. And you know, they're, they're born with basically an iPhone in their hand. And um, you know, I mean, and then kind of couple that with cyber could really use a lot, you know, millions more good minds. And, you know, at what point do we start bringing youth into cyber awareness or, you know, kind of cyber learning? Uh, or, or do you think it's just inherent when you start using an iPhone, you just you start figuring it out? I mean, I, I'm, I'm quite curious, you know, because it's I think a lot of the cyber discussions aren't happening 
by, by and large, or some of them are happening later, like in high school or things like that. But it seems there could be a lot of goodness getting them much younger. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things you want to build good habits from a an early start. As soon as they start interacting with this technology, it's like when, when as soon as kids start going to the park on their own, you you start telling them about stranger danger. Don't take candy from a stranger. Don't, don't tell anyone where you live, you know, all that kind of stuff. Physically, we're very good at, from a young age, we, we start building in the, these, these sort of frameworks in, in children's minds to just be mindful of, of things. And we often don't do the same thing online. And, you know, we often see kids will, you know, end up like either accessing inappropriate content for their age or for whatever your personal belief structure is within your home. Because I, I, you know, and and there is a lot of technology out there that can help, right. but I do think this is a very much a parental and a societal issue that we all need to tackle together. You know, again, I think parents need to have that conversation with their children. Say like, okay, you're going to go on things, and maybe people are going to message you. If you don't know them, don't talk to them. If someone messages you or sends you something that you think is inappropriate, come and talk to us. We're not going to get angry with you. We're going to help you you know, deal with right. it and, and we'll, we'll teach you how to do it because there, there's no way that we can possibly say on every single platform, these are the lists of do's and don'ts that just not going to happen. We don't even know all the platforms they access, but we, we need to build for them a, a safe framework that they know, okay, if this happens, this is how I think about it. And this is what I do. I'm curious, like we're in the, Rachel and I are in the U S but you're over in the UK. Is the UK curriculum in element primary and secondary school? Like, do they have cyber training? They they been integrated somehow, or or we're not there yet, or are you? Not really formally. No, I mean, some of the schools have some sort of like newsletters that sometimes go out to the parents, and they're like, "Here are some tips, and talk to your children about this." But it's not really fully integrated into their curriculum that I'm aware of. No, hmm. seems like an opportunity there. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so that and finance yeah. right yeah. finance is the other thing we should be teaching them Seriously. yes so one of my my favorite kind of there, there are two favorite closing questions we have and and my one of the two is you know on on, on your many years working in security Shabbat um, how do you feel about the future you know is are we are we going to kind of crack that security nut and, and finally get ahead of the attackers or are they always just going to kind of be one step ahead of us? And that and that's the juice, right? That's why we stay in security because every day is a new day and, and it's exciting. But man, that's kind of tiresome thinking about the next 30 years. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I would love that kind of job security, wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, it'd take me into retirement, <laughs> into the sunset. Um, <laughs> So naturally, I, I'm quite optimistic about a lot of things. I think that as an industry, we obviously, because we, we're, we get to see the latest threats all the time, we don't always stop and pause and look back and think, well, we've actually come a long way. We've actually done a lot of good. The technologies that we have today, the processes, the, the, the maturity of organizations that there are today is way beyond what it was you know, 15, 20 years ago. So I think we're going to continue to improve, and I think it's going to get a lot better from the current position we're in. Having said that, there's going to be newer avenues, newer technologies, newer doors, new, newer ways to, to, to break in. So I think the criminals are always going to be there. And, you know, it will be an evolving battle, but I don't think 
and, and I hope that in 30 years we won't be talking about the exact same things. It might be the same principles, but it'll be on newer platforms, right. newer ways of, of, of operating. And, uh, right. but I think underlying all of that, the, the, um, you know, like, like they said, a sucker is born every minute. I don't know who said that. Some, something sounds like said in the seventies <laughs> or whatever you, but you know, there, there's always going to be con people and scammers and criminals. You know, they went around from long before technology was around and they're here now and they're going to be around well into the future. So that that side of it fooling people getting them to hand over their digital wallets or what have you that that will remain but um overall i i am hopeful i think things will get uh, a lot better in 30 years that would be lovely rachel i think we've actually if you think i think back to like the 90s and back then an attack was some something as simple as a ping a ping of death if you remember those and that would reboot your computer, crash windows now the attacks are much more sophisticated it requires multiple stages I think that our acceptance, you know, we've gotten better as individuals and as humans and society, but ultimately, you know, Javed's point, it's we're, we're adapting and so are they. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I had to think about that for a second. That is true. We are, we are adapting. Um, yeah. So the constant, the constant change, the constant that we have is change, I guess you could argue in cyber mm-hmm. and we just have to adapt. Yeah. That's what I like about it. Which is yeah. good job security. I like it. Yeah, it's good job security for all of Keeps us. Things interesting, and so okay. Last question for you: What are you reading right now? It could be fun, it could be work related, but we, we we always like to find out what folks are reading. So I am reading, and I'm literally on just page page one of it. Uh, it's a book by um, Mehdi Hassan. He's a journalist. He and it's called How to Win Every Argument. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> The, the art of debating, persuading, and public speaking. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> now, now, what drove that book uh, selection? I'm curious. <laughs> so he's one of those guys that sh- shows up on my TikTok feed a lot. <laughs> and uh, he, he does like these 60-second like, breakdown of, of what have you. And it, he's, he, he really stumbles when he's debating with people. And I thought he's got some good techniques. And then he said, he's coming out with this book. And I thought, okay, pre-order. And it just got delivered a short while ago on my Kindle. That's wonderful. So. I do the same. It's like, uh, what is that whole thing? Like TikTok made me buy it. I mean, I'm a, I can't even tell you how much <laughs> stuff I've got. And one of the guys I follow, he's written three books apparently, and they're all really well reviewed on Amazon. So uh, I, I think I got my new my new series. But speaking of TikTok, we didn't get a chance to talk about that yet. I love your TikTok channel. I encourage all of our listeners to go check it out because um, you're 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 hitting kind of you know hot topics, right? I mean, you know, things that are in the headlines, news stories, um, all the things that are really really relevant. Um, you know, and it, and I love I love kind of the the conversations that you're starting as well. I mean, it's we, we talked earlier about the facial recognition technology. I know that's pretty much a hot button for a lot of people, but it's it's great to see, you know, security channels on TikTok and, you know, not just videos about how to fix your hair or puppies, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. I really do. And and you're right. I, I try to pick a topical story, like a timely uh, story from that week or something. And and the idea behind it, my, my thinking is like, just to get something that's more accessible to someone that exactly. doesn't work in security or tech and just get them thinking, oh, this is a story. 
And, uh, you know, hopefully I think the, the idea is like with enough time, you'll get someone that doesn't work in security to say, have you ever thought about addressing the problem this way? And we'll all be like, we're idiots. We've never thought of it like this, <laughs> you know, yes, uh, because I think yeah, exactly. that external perspective is so useful. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, I know we're kind of a time, so I, I want to thank you for your time, Javad. This has been so much fun. I, I really appreciate you joining the podcast today with us. Uh, thank you so much. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you both. Wonderful. And to all of our listeners out there, as always, thanks for joining us this week. And don't forget to subscribe. Uh, and until next week, what do we like to say, Petco? Be safe. Be safe. <laughs> it's going to catch on one of these days. All right, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Until next Thanks. time. Thanks for joining us for the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher.